Say, this is God's word. Come on, say it like you mean it. This is God's word. Not Pastor Evans' word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are always welcome, but I'm asking now that you will take everything that has been said and done and everything that will be said and done. Let it bring glory to God. And I pray that you will take the word and personalize it to each person. Go into their situation, go into their mind, go into their home and their businesses and their job and cause this word to be catered just for them. And I thank you that when we leave today, we will leave encouraged. We will leave strengthened. We will leave inspired to do not only what your word says, but we will leave inspired to know Christ and to make him known. And so I thank you in advance for signs, miracles, and wonders following your word today in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody say amen. Amen, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We're in a series entitled Unorthodox Love. Everybody say unorthodox love. And so the goal of this series that we've been in for the last three weeks is to provide us with a different view of God's love by diving into the word so that we can experience a new perspective of who he is and how he loves us. Now, the first lesson that we did was centered around looking at some unorthodox acts that God had did in the lives of people throughout the Bible. And then last week, my fiance, Sharice, and I, we shared our unorthodox love journey. Did y'all enjoy that? Yes. And boy, I tell you what, it has hit viral. And everybody's comments are not positive, but I have thick skin. I can handle it. Praise the Lord. Let's do it. And so last week we shared our unorthodox love journey. And one of the reasons we shared the story was to give you a contemporary perspective of God moving in an unorthodox way in our relationship. Because sometimes we forget that the same God that moved in the Bible is the same God that moves right now. Say amen to that. And one of the reasons, listen, you have to understand, God is not done moving in an unorthodox way. And see, you may not realize it, but your life may be the only Bible that some people will pick up and read. Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 2 says, You, Paul said, are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. I love the way the message translation says it. He says, You yourselves are all the endorsement we need. Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. Amen. 
the testimony of our lives sometimes is the very thing that God uses to draw others back to him. And this is why when you, as a believer, are walking, when you're at work, when you're outside, when you're in your, in your neighborhood or whatever, you can't, you can't let your flesh act up. Because your flesh will act up if you let it. Have you ever had to talk to your flesh? Down, boy. Down. I am so glad they don't have some type of way to slap people over the phone. You ever been on the phone and you want to slap somebody? All the time. And I'm so glad because I would sin all the time if I was able to slap people over the phone. Because some people on the phone, they, it just seems like they feel it is their job to irritate you. But you can't let your flesh show up. Why? Because it's the testimony of our, of our lives that sometimes God will use to reach other people. Say amen to that. Amen. So if you're taking notes today, our lesson title is God's Unorthodox Love. God's Unorthodox Love. And the goal of the lesson is to help you and I see God expresses his love in unorthodox ways. And here's the thing. Here's why I'm teaching this today. So that you and I can trust him at new levels and new depths. Because I've, I've, I've realized that most believers never reach new levels of faith because they have, they have bottomed out when it comes to trusting God. Because the more you know his love for you, the easier it is to trust him. So I'm going to go back to defining unorthodox and then we're going to jump into the lesson. Unorthodox in the dictionary means not conforming to rules, not conforming to traditions or modes of conduct. And some synonyms for the word unorthodox is different, eccentric, unconventional. I like that. Unusual, far out and crazy. The way we started this church was unorthodox. Not necessarily because we started in the school, but you may not be aware of this, but we're the second church in America that stayed in a school as long as we did. There's only one church that beat us by one year. Do you know that the average church, if it stayed in a school that long, would not exist anymore? Everybody say that's unorthodox. Now, let me say this because... What I'm not saying is that unorthodox means to do things that are different that violates God's word and his principles. I am not saying that. Amen. Because God will never contradict his word or contradict bringing about his will in the name of something being unorthodox. Amen. But what he will do is he will contradict our ways to bring about his will. Amen. God does not have to get our permission to do what he wants to do. Now, he needs our participation so that we can be blessed in the process. But how many know if you say no to God, he's lining somebody else to say yes? Amen. So Isaiah 55 verse 8, it shows us how God's ways sometimes contradict ours. He says, for my thoughts, everybody say God's thinking. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways 
Your ways, says the Lord, verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts are higher. And if we'll get in frequency with him, watch this, he will share his thoughts with us. If I say years ago, years ago, um, I don't know, I, I think our church was about maybe four years old, three or four, somewhere up in there. And uh, uh, when we were smaller, I had to kind of do some of everything. So uh, when we first started, I was part of the uh, the count. I had to count. So it was two of us because uh, it was three of us on staff. So two of us counted. Right. And so uh, this young man. Uh, and I were counting. And so I used to uh, add up the checks and he would count the cash. So not only would he count the cash, he would take it to the bank to deposit it. So that particular day, we count, we add, we do all of that. And he gets up to walk out and the Holy Spirit tells me he's stealing. Everybody say, that's God's thoughts. I would not have thought that. I would not have thought that. It didn't look like it. It didn't feel like it. But the Holy Spirit said, he's stealing. And I said, really? I said, well, how do I, how, how do I know that? Apparently you know. He says, what I want you to do is go count the offering envelope, the ones that say cash, add them up, and see if the amount matches what he put on the paper. Everybody say, hmm, this is why, here's an announcement from Pastor Lisa, please fill out your offering envelopes. Please put your name on it and write it legibly. That was a commercial. (laughs) So anyway, I counted it and God was right. So this person was on their way to the bank. (laughs) It's like, can he be wrong? (laughs) So he's on his way to the bank and God tells me to call him and tell him to come back. So I called him, told him to come back, and uh, we, I sat down. I said, I said hey, listen, uh, uh, I think something's wrong on the count with the cash. And he says, yeah, Pastor, you're right. When I got to the teller, they said, uh, you know, they counted it with the counter and stuff, and, and our count was off. And so he said, you know, I was adjusting, because that can happen sometimes, you know. Uh, but the way that we have a system now, it really doesn't happen that much. But anyway, it didn't sit right with me. Everybody say God's thoughts are not your thoughts, but he will share them with you. And so I didn't feel good. So the Lord told me to call the bank. So I called the bank and uh, they know who I was. And so I brought up the scenario and they said, oh, yeah, he was in line to make the deposit, but he got a phone call. So he got out of line. So he never went up to the teller. Mm. Say it, say it, say it. (laughs) Here's what I'm trying to get you to see, church. God's thoughts may not be our thoughts, but he will share them with us if we're open to him. Listen to the message translation. He says, I don't think the way you think, the way you work isn't the way I work. God decrees, for as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. 
So let's do this. I only have one point today. Let's discover God's unorthodox love for us so that we can learn to trust him better. Because here's the issue. Many of us don't trust God at the levels we need to because, watch this, we don't know him well enough to love him at that level. So here's point number one, if you're taking notes. God's unorthodox love is not bound by traditional rules or man-made boundaries. I'm going to say that again. God's unorthodox love is not bound by traditional rules or man-made boundaries. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a story. You, you, you'll know the story, but I'm going to point something out in the story you may not have ever looked at. Because here's what I want you to do as we read the story. I want you to identify some unorthodox things that are happening in the story. So this is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I'm reading from the King James Version. It says, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he says, he must needs go through Samaria. Verse 5. Then he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. It's near the parcel of ground or the land that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, he sat on the well. And it was about the sixth hour, verse 7. Then comes a woman of Samaria to draw some water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink. Now, it says, for his disciples were gone away into the city to do what? To buy some food or buy some meat. What's interesting about this? I just want to insert this. Did it take all 12 of them to go get that meat? 12? They done left Jesus uncovered. But here's the thing, though. It's good that they all went away because what I'm about to show you, Jesus did something unorthodox and they probably would have had a problem with it. So let's keep reading. Verse 9. Then the woman said of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me, which I am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, watch uh, John chapter 4, verse 9. In the message translation, it said the Samaritan woman was taken aback and she asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. So we can see already that Jesus' approach to the lady was unorthodox. Do you all agree with that? See, because based on the norm of society at that time, Jesus never should have been having a conversation with this woman. And this, you know, we know this to be true because of the disciples' response when they show back up. So what I'm going to do is read the disciples' response. It says in John chapter 4 verse 27 in the message translation, Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. You ever had that happen to you? Can I say this, church? Don't expect everyone to respond positively to the new thing that God wants to do in your life. Don't expect people to get on board and clap for you when he starts doing something unorthodox that they don't understand. Listen, they weren't there when he told you about it. 
And so many times we're looking for man's approval. We're looking for a prophecy. We're looking for somebody to agree with us when it's actually a God-directed thing. And you and I need to watch how we respond. Listen, sometimes you, listen, when God is doing something different in somebody's life, watch your mouth. Look at your neighbor and say, watch your mouth. Watch them out. Watch how you respond to prophetic moves that God may be doing that's unorthodox. Why? Because if you watch it, if you don't watch it, because I'm telling you, this series right here is a prophetic message to our church. I'm not just preaching this so y'all can know about unorthodox and what it means. I'm telling you that God is doing something unorthodox in our church, but he wants to do something in your life that's unorthodox. And if you don't watch, if if you respond wrong to a prophetic, unorthodox move of God, you can miss out. So let me, I'm going to read a story about somebody who heard something unorthodox. But because, watch this, they judged it from their flesh, they decided that's not going to happen. This is in 2 Kings chapter 7 in the New Living Translation. It says, Elijah replied, Listen to this message from the Lord. Who's the message from church? Here is the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord is saying. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. And ten quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen. Even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And Elijah replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you will not be able to eat it. So watch this now. Jump down to chapter 7, verse 17. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. The man of God had said to the king, by this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice silver will cost one piece of silver. And ten quarts of barley grain will cost one piece of silver. Verse 19, the king's officer had replied, that couldn't happen even if the Lord windows, uh, even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And the man of God had said, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. And so it was. For the people trampled him at the death at the gate. The people trampled him to to death. And we know that can happen. All you got to do is look at some of these concerts they be having nowadays. Listen, he heard it. But because he was trying to discern it from the flesh, he missed out on it. And I'm saying to you, church, don't miss out on it. And listen, start looking for God to do some things that's different. Amen. And see, here's the thing. God's love is so unorthodox that, listen, he will use his goodness to even lure us out of sin. See, a lot of people want to make God a bad God. That he punishes all these people and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you did something wrong, lightning's going to strike you and all that. But most of the time, it's not God. Most of the time, things that happen to us when it's bad, it's just the consequences of a bad decision. Amen. The New Living Translation of Romans 2, I love this. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his goodness or his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? Wow. 
Listen to the Living Bible. Don't you realize how patient he's being with you or us? Or don't you care? Can't you see that he has been waiting all this time without punishing you to give you time to turn from your sin? His kindness, listen church, is meant to lead you to repentance. Not his anger. Not because he wants to get you. No, his kindness is what leads us to repentance. And the problem is a lot of times we tend to not change or draw closer when we see his goodness because we mistake his goodness for the approval of what we're doing as wrong. Since, you know, since he ain't letting nothing happen. Oh, he, he good. No, he ain't good. He's just trying to let his goodness get you to confess up. Amen. But unorthodox love, listen, can bless you even in your mess of you. You ever had God to bless you in your mess of you? See, I know if you've been a believer for a long time, you, you, you put on the face. I'm, I'm good. I don't cuss no more, pastor. I haven't cussed in 25 years. But you're cussing them out in your mind, though. Hello. You're a mind cusser. A mind cusser. Jesus loved this Samaritan woman so much that he, listen church, he broke the rules and the norms of his culture to reach her. And contrary to popular belief, God loved and loves us so much that he showed us love even though we were in a sinful state. Romans 5, 5 says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. When we were utterly helpless, watch this church, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us as sinners. He did not wait for us to become saints to love us. He loved us while we were sinners. Verse 7 said, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I mean, that's just like, listen, let me ask you a question. Would you go to jail for somebody? How many, how many would go to jail for somebody? Raise your hand. Would you go to jail for somebody? Wow. Three, four hands, five. We ain't even willing to go to jail for somebody. And God done sent somebody to die for us that we might not even accept. Watch verse 9. And since we've been made right in, the, in, in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Watch verse 11. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us what? Friends of God. But God, watch this, this is good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Let me put this in perspective. Because you can't really appreciate the unorthodox love of God until you compare it to what I would call regular love. See, God showed us love while we were still sinners. 
I mean, that's just like you marrying somebody knowing before you marry them, they're going to cheat on you. Now, I have a question. How many of you would marry somebody knowing they're going to cheat on you after you get married? None? Wow. I don't even see no hands online. Okay, so I have a question. Look at your neighbor and say, he got a question. If you wouldn't marry somebody knowing that they would cheat on you after you got married to them, why are you still with that man and he's cheated on you before you even got married? Go on and clap like a Presbyterian. Go on and do it like this. Heckalese, 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 heckalese. Oh, y'all missed that, didn't you? Okay, so you dating a man right now. I'm talking to somebody. You dating a man right now. He has already cheated on you. So you already know he has the ability to do it because he done done it. So if he did it and you ain't married, why do you think he's not going to do it? He's just showing you who he is. She's just showing you who she is because women cheat too. Look at your neighbor and say, are you a cheater? Now look at your other neighbor and say, none of your business. (laughs) So here's a question as we turn the corner real quick. Because here's what I'm trying to get y'all to see. If you can increase your love for God, it will increase your trust of God. And if you can increase your trust for God, then now you won't have hesitations when it comes to him prompting you to do things. Because most people do not believe God has their best interest at hand. See, this is why at one point I could say, God, if you want me single, I'll do that. God, if you want me married, I'll do that. Why was I able to do that? Because I trust him. Some of y'all can't pray that prayer. I ain't praying that prayer. He might say he want to keep me single. Well, obviously, if he says that, being single is going to be more happy for you. So I just heard somebody say, Pastor Evan, you a lie. (laughs) So here's the question. Here's the question. I just threw that one out there. Here's the question. So why is understanding and receiving God's love so important? Why? Here's why. Because God's love, listen for us, changed our relationship status with him and it gave us new identity. See, when you love somebody in the natural, they don't necessarily, they might change your name when you get married, but they don't necessarily give you identity. Well, God's love for us changed our relationship status with him By giving us a new identity. First John chapter three, verse one says this. Behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us. What's the context? Love. What manner of love has the father bestowed upon us that we should be called what? Sons of God. Listen, listen, his love for us calls us, watch this now, to get an identity change. He says, 
sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we what? Sons of God. It doesn't appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. God's love gave us our new identity. John 3.16 says this, but I'm going to show you something about this verse you may not have seen. It says, for God so what? What did he do? He loved. Now, my point is this. God's love for us changes our identity. That's the whole point. Watch what he says. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave who? Well, guess what? Accepting Jesus Christ changes our identity. It says, for if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. So watch this. When God, who loved us, he loved us so much, he gave us Jesus. But when he gave us Jesus, we got a new identity. When God gave Christ, watch this now. He went from being just God to us to father to us. That's a big deal. See, the world sees him as God. And they'll get on stage and thank him for it. I just want to thank God. I wonder what God they talking about. See, they may not be talking about the same God we talking about. See, the, if they talking about the same God that we talking about, then somebody ought to give Jesus some glory. Amen. But God... When he gave us Christ, he went from being just God to father to us. John chapter 1 verse 10 says, he, Jesus, was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. Watch this. He came to his own. His own received him not. But as many as received him, received who? Christ. To them, he gave power to become what? Sons of God. So when God gave Christ Listen, he didn't just birth us in the natural like our parents did. Because, see, if you want to know who's the father, just do a DNA test. They don't do a DNA test on the mother. Obviously, the mother is the mother because it came out the mother. Y'all kind of slow this morning, ain't you? No, no, the the question is always the father. Who's the father? Right? Well, when God gave Christ to us, he birthed us, watch this, spiritually, but then he took the next step and he gave us identity. See, our, our, our natural fathers, all they did was birth us. But they couldn't give us identity. Oh, wait a minute. They gave us a sex. That's how they know if you're a male or female, right? See, that comes from the dad. That's why uh, when Mary was born, we knew it was going to be a boy. Because the seed of the man is what determines the sex of the child. So watch this. Now, when we are born again of the spirit, we become sons of God. So we became sons of God because of Christ. And now God becomes our father and the father determines the identity. The unfortunate part about this, listen, church, is this. Most people's view of God as father is skewed because their experience of their earthly father was not good. And this is why it's hard to love God with all of our heart because all the only thing we have to relate to is our earthly daddy who was worth nothing. Amen. 
If our earthly father was untrustworthy, then our viewpoint of God as a father is going to be untrustworthy. If our viewpoint as uh, our earthly father is unreliable, then we're going to somehow view God as unreliable. So if we don't comprehend God's love for us properly, we won't be able to trust him. So listen, we need to not just see him as God. We need to see him as father. But here's the difference. His father, fatherhood, he's a good, good father. And see, when you know that, you can trust him. And when you trust him, you can obey him. And when you obey him, he blesses you. Say amen to that. God's love for us changed our identity. His son gave us sonship. So watch this. Our comprehension of this helps us to trust God from a relationship standpoint. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Because a lot of us, all you have to do is measure your trust. Say, do I trust Where am I not trusting where I need to? Because, see, that's where it matters right there. What can can God tell you that you ain't going to do? You know, most of the major moves in my life had to be bold acts of faith. When I graduated from Jamaica... And I wasn't sure if I was going to start a church in Jamaica or if I was going to go back to Ohio because while I was in Bible school, my pastor died. So his wife was pastoring church. I thought maybe God would send me there to help complete that work. Or I'm from Dallas. I didn't know what to do. And so God gave me a word and the word was to come to Arlington. Well, when I got here, listen, he wanted me to sell cars. I didn't want to sell cars. Most car salesmen, some car salesmen, they're crooks. So I didn't want to be associated with that. And then I have a degree, you know. I'm like, hey, can God, listen, I spent all this money to go to college and you want me to sell cars? But what I didn't know, everybody say unorthodox. What I didn't know is while selling cars, I was going to meet. The br- a brother of one of my college classmates and his brother is the person that I partnered to go in business with. And so that helped me start my first business. But I was, listen, but had I not been where he wanted me to go. And I believe we miss opportunities sometimes, not because the opportunities are not there. It's because we're not willing to go. Amen. It's so easy to stay comfortable. You've been working at AT&T for 25 years, but you hate it. I'm just going to retire there. Well, yeah, you're going to be retired. Re means what? Again, tired. You're going to keep being tired. That's what that means. So how do we apply today's word? Because here's the thing. I want us to learn to trust God more. I want you to trust God so much that you don't even question him when he tells you to do something. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know when God is talking to me. Well, one of the ways to clear that up is to tell the Lord that whatever he's telling you to do, if you're unclear that it's him, ask him to say it again. Say it, say it, say it. And he will do that. 
he, but see, a lot of times we don't want to hear him say it, say it, say it. Everybody say, say it, say it, say it. So I'm getting ready to hire a new assistant. Right? See, our church has gotten to the point where Pastor Lisa can't do five things no more. She can only do four. (laughs) I'm working her through like a Hebrew slave. (laughs) No, I'm just playing. No, no, no. I'm sorry, Pastor Lisa. No, for real though. Her, her, her main job has gotten too big for her to keep doing it and helping me. So, I'm getting ready to, to hire this new person, right? And, uh, when I talked to them, uh, they were at the, the volunteer luncheon that we did. No, let me back up. They invited someone. They went to play. They invited someone to church when they came to the play. This person who came to the play came and met me outside and and greeted me. Well, this person is married to one of our members' oldest sons. Well, I knew this member had, you know, I thought they had two boys, but she actually has three. So I had never met the oldest one. So this lady who she got who got invited was married to our members. Oldest son. Well, I said, well, and she said, oh, and uh, my, my assistant was also in the play and she invited me too. I was like, really? So I know the person she was talking about. I was like, so what do they do for you? So she explained to me and I was like, wow, I need somebody like that. So then I started thinking, Lord, how do I steal this person from her? <laughs> One of the commandments is thou shalt not what? Steal. I had to dismiss that thought. Can't steal them. That's not kingdom oriented. So I said, so I meet him at the, um, at the luncheon and I'm talking with him and I said, Hey, I met your, your boss, so-and-so and so-and-so. And, so, and, and she said to me, you know what, pastor, um, um, doing the fasting and praying, God leading me to, to not work there no more. So I've already put in my resignation. Look at your neighbor and say, that's unorthodox right there. You better hear from God if you go quit a job and ain't got no job. She said, yeah, I've already put in my resignation. I said, really? I said, send me your resume. She got interviewed, so she's going to be starting in March. Glory be to God. Here's my point. She had to trust an unorthodox, her and her husband had to trust an unorthodox set of instructions to see God's best. So how do we do this? Here's application number one. Ask yourself the question, do I view God as God or as Father? Number two, when an opportunity or challenge comes for you to lean or trust on in God, do so knowing that He is not just God to you, but Father as well. Here's a third one. Ask yourself the question, am I not trusting my heavenly Father because of the history of my earthly Father? 
And if that's the case, take the time to forgive your earthly father so that the residue of his shortcomings doesn't contaminate your faith towards your heavenly father. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, here's my question to you. What is God trying to do that's unorthodox in your life? I hear him saying, behold, I want to do a new thing, but you have to let me. Father, in the name of Jesus, whatever you're trying to do in the life of every person who's listening and watching, make it crystal clear to them, Father, whatever their faith move needs to be. Because your word says faith without works is dead. There's something we're going to have to do first in order for you to do your part. And I pray today that you will put down on the inside of every person whatever faith action they need to take. And I thank you that as they obey you, blessings and increase is going to follow their lives. And I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Whatever head still bow, here's my question. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven?